Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of Science Snacks. It's me, your science liaison with a face designed for podcasting, Eric. On today's episode, we're talking about the Ohio train derailment of 2023. Um, I, I don't really have much in the line of a usual intro for this, aside from the fact that, like, usually we don't talk about, you know, uh, new and up, you know, breaking news, uh, unless, you know, it's like, oh, there's a new Nobel Prize winning scientist or something, you know, like that. Uh, but because of this particular train derailment, there's a lot of scientific questions that really come to the surface that I think are genuinely, um, you know, something worth discussing. Uh, so without much, uh, more to do, uh, I will walk you through just a few, uh, we're, we're going to look at three sources. Um, the first one's going to tell us, uh, what we know about the Ohio train derailment and the environmental threat. This is, uh, from JC Fortin and was published March 1st, 2023. All right. So let's start with what exactly happened. There was a derailment of a Norfolk Southern train that spilled uh, toxic chemicals that led to a controlled burn of the substances in uh, East Palestine, Ohio. This has uh, become a pretty high-profile, um, pretty politicized event. <laughs> um, the residents of the town uh, are about 4,700 people, um, and since they've complained about various elements in the weeks since the wreck, which took place on February 3rd of 2023. They are uh, all kind of worried about long-term uh, health consequences. The state and federal officials have told them, you know, they've yet to detect any dangerous levels of chemicals in the air or municipal water. Uh, they say that, you know, some experts say that fully understanding the consequences of the accident requires a more comprehensive investigation and more time to pass. But as residents wait, their efforts to process what happened has been complicated because there's, you know, political crossfire <laughs> about the incident. Um, I don't really care about the politics. And I mean, honestly, I don't know that you should. Uh, but let's actually talk about what is known. So there's a handful of chemicals on the train. About 20 of the roughly 150 cars en route were carrying hazardous materials, according to the uh, EPA. Uh, the compounds in that uh, were uh, butyl acetate, which is a clear liquid with kind of a fruity odor and caused breathing difficulty and skin irritation. Um, Ethyl hexyl acrylate, a clear liquid that is used to make paints and plastics and can irritate the skin, eyes, and respiratory tract. Ethylene glycol monobutyl ether, a colorless liquid that's used to uh, make paints and varnish. Um, in an experiment that exposed people to high levels of chemicals for several hours, some subjects reported irritation of nose and eyes, headaches, and vomiting. Uh, the big one here, uh, vinyl chloride a colorless gas that's used in making uh, plastic products. The compound, which EPA has said was on five of the train cars, was the biggest concern. Uh, the gas has what toxicologists describe as a mild sweet odor and cause dizziness, headaches, drowsiness when inhaled and in the short term, and in the long term, a rare form of uh, liver cancer and, and chronic uh, after chronic exposure. So we'll talk more about that. 
Um, but when burned, vinyl chloride decomposes into gases that include hydrogen chloride and phosphine gas. Hydrogen chloride is, is a strong irritating odor and uh, corrosive to tissue. Um, so it'll, it'll eat away at you. Uh, phosphine gas smells like uh, freshly cut hay and can cause coughing and wheezing. Um, they said that, you know, they've been testing for most of the toxic chemicals that they knew were on the train. And they haven't seen anything inside, like, homes or local air. Um, there were some questions, you know, like, why were the chemicals burned? Uh, the uh, Norfolk Southern conducted the controlled release and burn-off of some of the train's chemical cargo in a process that generated kind of this huge kind of, like, sooty plume of smoke to avoid an explosion that might have caused even more widespread damage. Um, and, you know, they said, like, oh, there, there's back and forth about whether or not that is, like, the correct action to do. Uh, you know, did, did you mishandle that? Um, the EPA ordered Norfolk Southern to clean up any resulting contamination and pay all costs. Norfolk is uh, one of the largest railroads in the U.S., and uh, it had given financial aid to the residents and businesses and stuff and said, like, you know, we're going to work to clean up the area. Uh, the, one of the issues associated with that, uh, are, you know, not just by the individuals and chemicals involved, but like, you know, these can have like huge environmental impacts. Um, and you know, there's also discussion about how chemical compounds can interact with one another in ways and persist after the burning. Um, there's a, a Dr. Uh, Poggi. Uh, who said there could be hundreds of different breakdown products that still remain, which we have often very poor toxicological profiles. Um, oftentimes this is, you know, just leaves us in this unknown space. What do we do? Um, and so they, they continue on talking about, like, those breakdown products. Um, people are, are pretty, like, concerned that, you know, this isn't being handled appropriately. That, you know, the state and federal officials continually, like, discuss and, and say, like, you know, we haven't detected anything. Um, and they were on the ground since, uh, since 2 a.m. on February 4th, hours after the crash. Uh, at least the EPA was. Um, so with that, that's kind of the, the general thing. Um, so this kind of begs the question, why did the crash happen? On March 1st, it was established that, uh, that you know, a wheel bearing failure was cited as the, the cause. There's some back and forth about, like, you know, uh, there's, there's some audio about, like, uh, U.S. rail workers were told to skip inspections as the Ohio train crash uh, prompts scrutiny to the entire industry. Uh, I know in, you know, at least my area of the U.S., there's been some uh, negligence around the entire railway system. This is kind of a more pervasive issue in the United States uh, because, you know, uh, trains are uh, expensive. They are, are difficult to maintain, especially like railway tracks and things like that. Um, and nobody really wants to foot the bill, and yet we 
are still actively using them like all the time. <laughs> and uh, there's there's a lot of um, recent events, uh, at least in the 2022 and 2023 uh, railway system, uh, most notably like of trains catching fire, um, you know, just uh, poor taking care of our, our train system. So um, while I'm not someone who actively uses the train, this is like a public form of transportation for a lot of people that, that you know, uh, throughout st- several major U.S. cities are, um, you know, their go-to. And, you know, if we look at like Europe and, and how it's structured, you know, the, the subways and railway systems play a huge role in transportation. So, um, there, there's obviously some level of um, negligence occurring in in the current state of the uh, the U.S. trainway. Um, so our next paper is is actually like more of a scientifically uh, written paper. Uh, this one uh, was written by uh, Wenji Soon. It's from the Center for Health Sciences, Oklahoma State University. Um, it was uh, published in the International Journal of Environmental uh, Restoration um, and Public Health. Uh, this is the devastating health consequences of the Ohio derailment, a closer look at the effects of vinyl chloride spills. Um, and, and this was published, let's see, February 27th, 2023. So, you know, people are really on the ball. <laughs> Um, less than a month later, publication about it. Uh, that's fine. Um, okay. So when talking about, you know, primary and secondary literature, what exactly this one is, uh, this obviously isn't a direct study. Uh, no, this is not from a person, you know, in Oklahoma who went and, you know, did studies in Ohio. Instead, this is like an overall kind of review, kind of a secondary literature, or even sometimes we might say a tertiary literature uh, that looks at reviews of reviews. Like, and here's what all the science collectively says. Um, and so, like, you know, a primary would be like, I'm directly studying something. Secondary says, well, let's look at what is the consensus of, like, a large number of journals. And then tertiary tends to look at what is the consensus of the consensus. And that tertiary is usually what ends up, like, in textbooks. So um, sometimes textbooks themselves are tertiary literature. Sometimes they're quaternary literature. It's, it really just depends on where they're pulling their sources from. Uh, so, uh, this is a review, functionally, of, uh, of the potential effects of this. So, on February 3rd, 2023, a train derailed on the village of East uh, Palestine, Ohio, uh, home to approximately 4,700 people, which is, is what we already know. Approximately 1.1 million pounds of vinyl chloride, a toxic flammable gas, was released and became quickly volatile. Uh, vinyl chloride exposure is associated with increased risk of rare forms of liver cancer, uh, as well as primary liver cancer, uh, brain cancer, lung cancer, uh, and they also say that the accident caused an extremely large volume of burning gas to be released, which could degenerate into dioxins and derivatives, uh, notorious carcinogens that can exist in air, soil, and water for many years. Again, you know, if you're not familiar with those, uh, all you need to know is they can potentially cause cancer. 
They also bring up that uh, inhalation of certain irritant gases, such as chlorine, at sufficiently uh, high acute doses can cause uh, some a rare disease involving uh, you know, a fibrosis in just a few months. Um, it, it causes some lung problems. Uh, small airway fibrosis is one of the pathological characteristics of COPD, which can cause long-term loss of your ability to breathe, which isn't great. Um, studies addressing whether individuals, especially children who were exposed to vinyl chloride, are at even a heightened risk for COPD. Uh, these are, these with the restrictive only pattern had evidence of true lung restriction and were at increased, uh, risk, uh, for multimorbidity, uh, by middle age, whereas people can benefit from early COPD interventions. Um, even more, uh, toxic chemical disasters pose a risk to, uh, psychological trauma for nearby people. Um, imagine, like, you don't just have, like, a train wreck, but now there's, like, this, this scary hidden monster that could just get you at any point. This, these chemicals that make you feel unsafe in your homes and, uh, a uh, wide spectrum of psychological distress, including the acute onset of uh, psych psychiatric disorders and exacerbation of existing uh, psychological and psychiatric conditions, has been uh, seen at accident sites. We talked about that with the previous uh, paper of people, you know, being like, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. And, you know, concern that every little thing is going to be the first sign of something big. That is a result of, of this chemical spill. How do you know? You have a cough, you have a sneeze, you have a sniffle. How do you know that that's not <laughs> the first sign of you having long-term COPD? Uh, so hospital management should include early involvement in mental health services is the recommendation here. Long-term effects such as PTSD and even suicide should uh, also be monitored in the community. Additionally, there's a significant increase in uh, hypertension-related hospital discharge rates uh, observing in the following years from a chlorine spill from a train derailment with uh, toxic chemical leakage. So, you know, that's something worth watching. Uh, health assessment should include, according to this person, you know, all of these things, all of these concerns. And, you know, you know, any miscommunication or hidden potential consequences may uh, lead to distrust and a secondary disaster as they reference uh, the things that occurred in Chernobyl and Fukushima. So with that, let's pause for just a moment and consider. All right. So you, let's say, are living inside of this town and there is a train derailment and you're in, you know, uh, this place in Ohio Maybe you don't have the ability to move because that would be a lot of people's first reaction is like, I don't want to live here anymore. Because uh, maybe nobody wants to buy your house. <laughs> like maybe you don't have the, the overall ability to sell and, you know, then be able to, you know, move somewhere else. Maybe you are kind of stuck, whether, you know, you have family there or like your job's there. So some form of where you're just in this town. Maybe this was where you wanted to be. Maybe this was the big goal, that small town life that, you know, people often dream of escaping to. You, you found yourself in Ohio. Either way, you are here. There's a train disaster. There's chemical spills. 
and now there's concern that those chemicals might come to you. And I don't think that this concern is is overestimated or unwarranted uh, just because of the sheer volume of chemicals. And, I mean, the Fukushima reference is a really good one, right? Like, you know, you have an epicenter of an event, and then all throughout the area from that epicenter is going to be just a... a potential hazard zone for people who, you know, maybe had no chemical safety experience, no no chemical experience. Um, so, so with that, what do you do? How do you handle, you know, questions from family? Maybe your children ask you, they say, you know, am I safe? Can I go outside? Can I go play? Can, you know, uh, we, you know, go uh, to the river and go, uh, what is it, tubing? <laughs> uh, what, obviously, like, that brings with some risks. And, you know, this could be, you know, I, I don't know your, your political views and things like that, uh, or, like, your education levels, but, like, I know that in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of people said the phrase, you can't live your life in fear. So do you go on that, that, you know, boating trip? Do you go on that, you know, a little outside of it? Do you tell your kids you can go outside, you can go play? Given that, like, there was a huge train derailment with 1.1 million pounds of vinyl chloride released into the nearby environment, what do you do? How do you live? How can you trust that, you know, your kid's, like, coughing or, you know, having a, a real rough flu season? How do you know that that's not what causes them long-term harm? So, we've talked about, you know, what exactly occurred. We talked about, you know, everything from, here's, here's the news overview of what occurred to, you know, here's the specificity. But it really, again, begs the question, what will happen? What is the future? And sadly, this is not a future predicting podcast. I cannot, I don't do tarot cards on here. I don't, you know, uh, throw, throw the bones and read those. But what I do have is, I think, the closest thing I can do, um, which is to give you a little, little something, which is a piece released on March 7th, 2023. Um, which was uh, is titled Machine Learning Based Time Series Forecasting of Chemical Levels from East Palestine, Ohio Train Derailment. Um, this is in a preprint. It's not been peer-reviewed. Um, so, you know, take all this with a grain of salt. This is from Vikas Ramachadra and Mohit Sethi. Uh, this, the general idea here is, okay, well, we know what occurred. Can we simulate what occurred with our computer? And so the paper pre- presents a time series analysis of the air, water, and soil data from East Palestine, Ohio, and the train derailment. The goal is, in the analysis, is to investigate the temporal pattern of chemical pollutant levels in the air, water, and soil, 
and to build a machine learning and statistical model for forecasting various uh, chemical concentrations over time. So as we take measurement data from, you know, throughout, uh, you know, the surrounding areas, try to gain an understanding of where chemicals are moving to, what are the concentrations of those chemicals at that locale, and, you know, try to map and trend that. Uh, we can then take that and kind of like forecast into the future uh, what the uh, computer model thinks will occur. Um, so, you know, they have that like general intro here of, you know, what exactly occurred and say that, you know, the EPA and other agencies have been conducting sampling in the area to monitor the concentrations of the hazardous material and assess the potential risk to human health. The air sampling data collected at various locations in the vicinity is a valuable source of information for evaluating the extent of contamination. If you time series the uh, analysis of the air sampling, it can provide you insights into like the time-based behavior, and then that allows you to track the underlying patterns or trends. They say, in this paper, we perform a time series analysis of the air sampling data collected by the EPA. Our objective is to identify any temporal patterns or trends that the pollutant concentration uh, has and evaluate the effectiveness of remediation efforts. So they say, you know, we focus on the result final text variable, which represents a concentration of the hazardous material in the air at different sampling locations over time then present their methodology for time series analysis and discuss their final analysis. So they say, you know, here's where we get our data set from, here's our model and results, and then they start, you know, just laying out graphs and all that. Uh, and, and I mean, it's exactly what you would kind of imagine it would be, a, a lot of math <laughs> and then a lot of, like, data points and saying, you know, the, the mean uh, over time for given areas and kind of mapping and trending that out. Um, what I think is interesting is in the conclusion. In conclusion, the time series forecasting of the Ohio train derailment has provided valuable insights into the pattern of hazardous chemical present in the air, water, and soil. The time series forecasting model used in this research have demonstrated you know, that it has pretty strong predictive power uh, when using air sample data and air sample data with water sample data as an auxiliary variable. But it's pretty poor when trying to track soil and water model with respect to the air model. Uh, it can be alluded to the fact there's a lack of like time-based data for both soil and water. Uh, while air sample data has a total data collection of 18 days, data samples for water and soil only have been collected for 11 and 2 days respectively. So they say, you know, we can, you know, we hope that this research comes to use the models that, that can be used for forecasting hazardous chemical concentrations over time. And that really gets to the heart of it is like, this is still fresh. This is still new. Um, I, I try to make these episodes in a way that like, you know, you could listen to this at any point in time and it's, it's kind of timeless. It, it doesn't say, you know, oh, I made this episode in this specific year, this month, this day. <laughs> but instead, like this is still fresh, still coming out. It's difficult to say right now, even, you know, from a scientific perspective, tracking these things over time. Not enough time has passed.
And for us to, you know, try to model what will happen, we don't have enough, like, kind of baseline points to form a trend. There's this, uh, there's this joke that uh, one time is, is an accident, twice a coincidence, three times is a trend. And that's, uh, that's pretty good advice for, like, you know, relationships and stuff. But, like, it takes more than that to make a trend <laughs> for science. So I, I hope that this can give you some insight into kind of the challenge associated with this, that we have an event that occurred that is scary and painful and, you know, um, possibly could have been prevented. Uh, but that's, that's kind of a, a heavier topic. Um, we have chemicals released that have, um, in, in my opinion, some, some scary and interesting scientific, uh, outcomes, everything from like, you know, greater risk of disease, greater risk of, uh, you know, um, long-term psychological, physiological effects, um, just from their acute exposure. And that has nothing to say, that says nothing about chronic exposure for people living in the area. So we talked about that. And now we talked about the challenges associated with modeling that and how fresh and new. So a friend of mine said, Hey, Eric, I know you're a scientist. How screwed are we? (laughs) And I, I didn't really have like a good answer for him because I was like, you know, it's bad. No, no one is going to say that this is good. Um, and, but, but I don't really have like a, oh, you know, this is going to cost us this many lives because nobody knows that. No one knows, you know, just how, um, detrimental this will be long term to us. There's, um, a, a thing from where I'm from, of, of increased lead in the waterways. Um, increased lead in waterways has been shown to correlate pretty strongly with increased uh, criminal activity, um, decreased ability to read, uh, increased you know, impulsivity in individuals, um, increased violence. And meanwhile, on the inverse... Uh, increased lithium in waterways has been shown to literally counteract that. <laughs> so should we be releasing, you know, lithium into no? Is that can potentially cause like crystallization inside of people? It's, it's you know, there back in the day in Greece um, were people who like you know they recognized mental health disorders and would say, hey, go lick these like lithium chloride rocks and not except don't go please do not go (laughs) and lick lithium chloride rocks for your mental health problems but they knew that lithium had like some health effects mental health effects um and now we use uh it or you know drugs that that you know are are discovered afterwards for treating bipolar disorder lithium chloride is uh is very uh well known uh, use for, for mental health disorders, namely bipolar disorders. Uh, and, and so we can see that, like, we know that long-term effects and exposure to things, um, in low doses, especially in water and airways and things like that can have drastic effects on mental and physiological health for those individuals. And that says nothing about the environment and the creatures living within it, the wildlife, the the things that do fundamentally matter because we only have one earth. 
Yeah. But focused on the people, we know that chronic exposure to things um, causes drastic effects. And that, as the scientists themselves in, who are experts in this area say, you know, these derivatives, we don't know. We're often working inside of unknown areas because we don't know what chronic exposure to things like these dioxins do, aside from potentially causing increased cancer rates. So it's a real challenge of being able to predict what will occur. And, and to my friend who asked me, you know, how screwed are we? Man, I don't know. But I do know that no one else knows currently. <laughs> and this is the problem of doing kind of like current event science is because it takes time, it takes effort, it takes tracking and trending. Um, and... I hope that this gave you some insight into uh, why I don't tend to do, you know, modern uh, events and, and the science behind, you know, uh, these these big things or, or, you know, the the air balloons and I don't know, uh, whatever else is, is currently occurring. <laughs> um, but I also hope it gives you an appreciation for understanding kind of the problems that, that lead up to this and the problems that will be the fallout from this. Our railway systems have a lot of issues here in the U.S. Our uh, vinyl chloride transportation should probably not be occurring at all. Um, most, most places just manufacture that on site, as I understand. Uh, and, you know, we have a real regulation issue uh, here with uh, chemical, you know, uh, transportation across the board, um, and and our transportation system is is often neglected. So there's, you can see how this very quickly blurs into a political region. Um, but I hope that you find the science itself interesting. I hope that you think, wow, you know, those, those effects that, you know, they talked about everything from the psychological to the physiological are interesting. And I hope that this episode and, you know, the three articles that we read in association with it left you feeling a little bit more holistically understanding of not only what occurs, but the challenges associated with uh, what happened, that nobody really knows the answer yet. And I don't know that anyone will ever fully know the answer. But I hope, most of all, that you enjoyed listening to this episode and that you'll come back for more. But hey, that's enough for me. Thanks for listening. And hey, don't forget your safety glasses. 